When finches grow and prepare to leave the nest, they don't flinch for they know what is next. Around comes Jared Bright to send the hatchling off to flight. The unknown may cause a fright, but the guide can lead the path to new heights. Woven twine and cedar spread, bramble home made to protect the head. Episode 2, Everybody Plays the Fool. Hello, I'm Alice. And I'm Abby. I'm more subtransient. So, how's everyone doing? It's a bit crazy out there right now. Yeah. Yeah, like, too much is going on in the world. Especially when you've been secluded for a few days and all of a sudden, bam, everything goes nuts. And we go on vacation and now we might be going into World War Three. What the hell? Uh, for the listeners out there, we took a little trip to the Grand Canyon. And we got snowed in. Yeah, we got stuck there for three days while we waited for the highway to clear. Or the interstate, whatever it is. I didn't even know it snowed at the Grand Canyon until I went up there. It was gorgeous, but oh, yeah. it, what, what the heck? We'll throw some uh, pictures on the Twitter. Yeah. And we tried to make a road show, but the wobbling of the tire was obnoxious. So we ate, ate adios that. The topic of today's episode, Everybody Plays the Fool, is, in essence, the fool is someone beginning their journey. It is the beginner, the novice. And we're going to go after novice uh, pointers and tips uh, into paganism or occultic beliefs, we are going to address some novice and beginner areas to pay attention to, a few do's and don'ts, and just basic knowledge on beginning your journey into paganism or the occult. And if you don't agree with us, you can just throw it out the window and do what you want. But we thought we'd throw out these bumps that we came across along the way. Yeah, this isn't a how-to guide. This is more of a tips and tricks guide. Yeah. The Troubleshooter's Guide to Paganism 101 or some shenanigans like that. Speaking of, let's get a quick definition of paganism. So, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines pagan as derived from the late Latin paganus, which was used at the end of the Roman Empire to name those who practiced a religion other than Christianity Judaism, or Islam. Early Christians often used the term to refer to non-Christians who worship multiple deities. In Latin, paganus originally meant country dweller or civilian. It is believed the world's re religious meanings developed either from the enduring non-Christian religious practices or those who lived far from the Roman cities where Christianity was more quickly adopted, or from the fact that early Christians referred to themselves as soldiers of Christ, making non-believers civilians. In other words, paganism is a blanket term for any non-Abrahamic religion. Exactly. So paganism means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But in essence, it's a, an earth-based religion not centered around Abrahamic faith. Typically, usually centered around some forces of nature. Well, that's usually the, like encompasses the whole of the religion is nature and each deity would represent a part of nature. Exactly. Now, that being said, the danger with the blanket term is typecasting people. Because, like, we're considered paganism by definition. Oh. Because we are considered pagan by definition, but that's not a term that means very much. It's like 
the popcorn definition. Yeah, two different people can have a different idea of what paganism is, where we consider it more broad the way we're talking about it. Someone could think like Wicca is paganism, for instance. Right, and it is. But so it's is... not all of paganism, though. Exactly, and that's the next point I was getting at. Paganism encapsulates both faith practices and magical practices and a whole plethora of other things that some people mesh together thinking they're exclusive when they're not. I, uh, I think it's a good idea to go through a few of the different ones, like the recreationists, like the Asatru, um, the Greek recreationists. I don't know what the name for that is. Uh, Celtic recreationists. These are the people who take the historical religious practices of the cultures at the peak of their practice and try to recreate it for their modern practice. Yeah. Then you have more ceremonial magic. A lot of these have been done in uh, secret societies and preserved that way. I'm not really an authority on ceremonial magic, but it's heavily structured and organized. And then you have... I practice folk magic, is what I like to call it, basically. Instead of following a specific rules, I kind of let the universe at large guide me. And my practice actually encompasses a lot of different pantheons, uh, what one might call eclectic. But I don't have that same organization to it as a recreationist or a ceremonial practitioner would have. So, something to consider is some terms that you may come across when you're investigating or looking stuff up on the internet, wherever, is the terms high magic and low magic. They sound like one is inferior to the other. It's not. It's horse hockey. If someone tells you that, they're trying to sell something. High magic is structured ceremonial magic. Low magic is pretty much everything else. It's it's less structured, more intuitive. It's got a lot of other thing, moving parts. Ceremonial tends to be very specific. There's a certain way to do things, and there's a lot of memorization and learning. One thing that I've done, I guess, would be considered low magic. I've never thought of these in this terms, but that's just my perspective. I would take uh, ashes from herbs that I've burned, like uh, for rituals or for cleansings and stuff. I'd collect my ashes. And I'd mix it with uh, water, usually charged water, and essential oils, maybe some fresh herbs. And I would make like a face paint for rituals or cleansings just so I can write metaphysical symbols on my face or on my hands to have on there to help empower whatever I was doing, be it a ritual or a cleansing. Exactly. Now, one of the things on that to be careful of is when you're using things like essential oils, etc. Little disclaimer: be very careful. You can burn your skin or hurt yourself. Yes, chemical burns are not fun, and you can absolutely make sure you're familiar with what the chemicals that you're doing can, or what that you're working with can do. Kind of like a, an MSDS, material safety data sheet, because there are some essential oils that you are not supposed to put on your skin while others are safe. One that's typically safe, as long as you're not allergic, is lavender. And another popular one that is not actually safe for your skin is clove. Right. So, in addition, or parallel to that, let's talk a little bit about the difference between nature magic 
and city or urban magic because it seems like those two divisions come up a lot whether they're named or not and there's some debate between practitioners on which one's effective and if even one exists i've literally done magic uh sitting outside midnight in the woods and had deer come up on me it was beautiful but i'm not really one for urban magic and i just because i've never been in that environment Exactly. It's more what you're drawn to, what you're used to. I'm used to urban settings, and a lot of my great stuff has happened in an urban setting, and it feels just as live and vibrant. All that to say, don't let someone tell you something isn't magical because it's not, quote, natural, or it's more synthetic or man-made or technological. It's all magical. It's all in our universe. Ultimately, all it truly is... Is a means to guide your intent. Exactly. So let's talk about that with what is magic. First of all, magic is not necessarily and also can be the faith practice or an interaction or way to honor a deity. We call that honorific where you're honoring something. And then there's operific where you're doing an operation or actually creating an outcome. That's where... uh intention is differentiated and you could say for those of you who are familiar with the law of attraction you could say that magic is just one of the ways to interface with the law of attraction because it's all about binding your intention to the spell and sending it out to the universe for you to change things in the way you want to see i see it as the different ways we interface with the universe in a similar regard it's like the different programming languages there's been in the last two decades of how you program, how you interface with the internet, etc. All different valid ways. Some have improved upon others. And we and we then you in- have some that are not so useful like script. Well, it's fine. It's just not useful. I mean, I learned on QBasic, so... script is literally just 16 different variations of the word Moo and its capitalizations. Look, don't knock the cows. I'm not. I'm just saying the programming language called MooScript is a fun programming language that ultimately you're not going to be able to do a whole lot with. And there's some magic that's like that, that is very cool looking or very useful. There's very plentiful, but you may not get very far with it because it's just not practical. Some cases, it's great to reinvent the wheel. Other ways, sometimes it's done that way. For a long time because it works that way. And a lot of times someone's already invented the wheel for you so you don't have to try to reinvent it because chances are that the path is already laid barren. The path is already laid out. The next thing that comes up often is do you need a god or goddess to work magic and or be pagan? Uh, This is probably the most subjective question you can ask in any kind of paganism, witchcraft, or occultic work. Yeah, for every person there's three different answers. So if there's a billion people out there, you're going to get three billion different answers to this depending on the day. Yeah. For example, I will work with deities if they call out to me. But I typically don't seek out deities to work with. Right. And my experience has been I've sought them out when they were needed and had a relationship with them and done some things. But I also operate mostly now on just... If I'm going to do something with a deity, I'm going to do honorific and honor them at one point, And then I'm going to do my operative or functional magic separately 
because I don't want to link my belief that magic only works if a god is involved. Oh, or yes. goddess. And another thing, for those of you who might be curious, since this episode especially is targeted towards the more uh, novice uh, crowd, so I'm sure we might have people that will come back and re-listen to this episode after it's uploaded. Um, when you're, If you think a deity might be calling out to you, those are in the form of synchronicity, something you might be like, oh, that's a coincidence out in the universe, and it's always going to point back to this deity if, some, if a deity is calling out to you. There's going to be signs, and you just have to open yourself up to it. It's kind of like when you're learning how to date. Sometimes it takes a while to get in the dating game, and you get real angsty, and then it makes the dating game tape take even longer. But then once you're in it, you just got to be there and present for the experience and let the relationship build. I was just wanting to, you know, iterate that yeah. for the less experienced folks that might be listening in. Right, and I want to reiterate that you do not need a deity to make magic work. There are so many people out there that think only by invoking spirits or deities will it work. Now, will it make it more potent? Possibly. I mean, I'll be honest. Um, there's a very few amount of spell work that I've actually had to work with a deity with, and the majority of it I work with myself, and I, I bring it up myself. Of course, I don't follow a book. I uh, come up with my uh, methodology myself because of my uh, folk magic background. Alright, so one of the things that I love to bring up because it makes people squirm is how chaos and chaos magicians like to use the example of Bugs Bunny being used as a deity. It makes so many people uncomfortable. I love it. It's the idea that intention is king or queen, and... It's not wrong. Listen, I'm going to tell you why I know it's not wrong. Personal experience here. Let me get on my lecture glasses. I mean, you're talking about uh, chaos magic, and then you go into uh, basically talking about making your own deity servitor. Like, this might be a little advanced of a subject for a novice uh, episode, though. We'll cut it out if we need it. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this, yeah. this might be a little out there. It might be a more advanced topic. Fair enough. I mean, think about it. When you started practicing, you probably didn't know what the fuck a servitor was. There is a vast, deep pool when it comes to deities and spirits. My suggestion is, until you know how to swim, stay in the kiddie end of the pool. Learn how to swim. Investigate things there. And then worry about swimming out later. And then maybe you'll take up deep diving. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, to, uh, your comfort level with it is what's going to determine how far in it you get. And if you try to dive in too deep, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're, it's going to turn you off of it altogether. Exactly. More than That is more succinct than any warning. Someone's going to say, oh, don't mess with this, blah, blah, blah. While that may be valid, the worst thing you can do is overwhelm yourself and turn yourself off from it. Also, another thing that I'd like to iterate for uh, the beginner. Do not let someone dictate how you're supposed to practice and what you're supposed to believe, nor let them tell you how fast you're supposed to uh, advance in your practice either. These are all subjectives, subjective uh, topics, and you walk your own path. Don't let anyone else push you. You can look to others for guidance, 
and information and to expand your own knowledge, but don't let them dictate you around. It's your path. The only person that can control it is you. Now, you may run across some people that are in charge, with air quotes, of a tradition or lineage, and you you may have to play by their rules if you want to learn their way. But it's typically no, something you would see in a coven. Right. But no, even in that instance, if you want to play by the rules, that's your decision. You're in charge. They're not the only gatekeepers of the information. There are other sources out there. Valid sources. Short story time, because I'm only going to talk about what's pertinent right now. Example for me, how I started. I went from Christianity and a a hiatus to New Age to Chaos Magic and everything that entails, and I'm still on that path. Most people would not suggest that, but that's the way it went. And in the event that you get to know me, you will understand how appropriate that is. I'll go ahead and iterate my experience. Um, When I was young, like single digits, I was basically indoctrinated into uh, Southern Baptist Church. And at a certain point, probably about five or six, I started asking all these questions. I don't remember what the questions were. Because it was a long time ago. But anyway, I started asking these questions and everyone would just tell me that you just have to have faith. I never thought that was a satisfying answer. So ultimately, for the longest time, I considered myself agnostic until my teenage years when I discovered something more akin to New Age. And I resisted paganism for the longest time because of the Christian indoctrination I took. I thought pagan was a a word that was synonymous with evil or the devil because of the brainwashing I'd received. So it, it took me a little while before I opened myself up to it. And eventually when I started practicing paganism, it felt like I was more at home than I ever felt with Christianity. I mean, Christianity might be perfectly fine for some folks out there and that's great, but others need something more like paganism. And they need to leave us the fuck alone to do what we need to do. And there's some Christians out there that are very, you know, open and friendly. But then again, it's like the church mentality against pagans that seem to be the real issue. And we just, we don't care. We just want to be left alone to practice our own stuff. We don't want to be involved in the church. It's usually the church that comes after us. I mean, historically speaking, how many times has church uh, hunted down pagans? Well, not even pagans, just people they view as heretics mostly pagans in europe i mean from what i understand it happens uh, in the united states too it's just usually not uh, reported very heavily even in the modern times so a quick psa in on that if you are new on the path or even been on the path a while you don't have to come out and tell people yes it's exhilarating it's exhilarating to release that information at the same time we still live in a culture and a country where that will backfire on you more often than not, especially if you're in areas like the Southeast or the Bible Belt, it's okay to keep it to yourself. That's where I'm from. Yeah, no, it honestly, and th- this doesn't just go for paganism, it goes for any like paganism, LGBT, anything like that. Uh, I was uh, I-, I was pretty comfortable coming out as pagan pretty soon after I adopted the practice and started learning. Now, it took me a, almost a year to come out as trans to someone. 
and it took me like a year and a half, almost two years, before I was able to actually start transitioning. So, before we go further, let's talk about sources and where you get your information. Because a lot of this is going to be dependent on good information, verifiable information, repeatable experiments like any good science is. There's going to be some people out there that say you have to do it this way, and it's the only way to do it, and these people are the ones that you should not listen to, because chances are, sources, you want to make sure that you can find it in multiple different areas. You don't want to find a single source for everything. You want to make sure you compare and contrast, because chances are, if you can only find it in one place, it's probably not that credible. Or at least not expanded upon enough to validate unless you want to do the legwork. For example, as a teaser, we'll talk about it later if there's a need for it. I have done magic in the vein of the chaos using, let's say, fictional spiritual creations. And they are just as valid as any known entity. If you have someone tell you that you can't take Bugs Bunny and make him a god, tell them... I'm on my way to prove them wrong because I will fight a fool over this. I've done it myself with other fictional characters and had great results. You do you, boo, and let other people have that same courtesy. But when it comes to verifying sources, you want to go to the back of the book and see what the bit or to the digital PDF. Go to the back and in the bibliography, look at the books they cross reference. Red flag is no books cross-referenced or listed or all by the same author. Or anything that says love spells. I want to take a tangent. Do not do love spells. Do not do love spells. And in case you forgot, do not do love spells. They seem to be a popular way to entrap uh, new practitioners in. And they are very problematic uh, just on a moral and ethical standpoint, you are trying to interfere with someone else's free will. Not only that, but they also backfire very easily. And or, often. Yes. Or you do one, it works, and now you're trapped because turns out the person you did it towards isn't uh, really that compatible with you. And now you have to deal with the consequences of what you did. It's always better just to let love happen organically and naturally. Do not do love spells. It's one of the few things we will advise against openly because it's so devastating. Problematic. Problematic, yes. It's one of the few problematic things, even to a KO. Good tangent. Sorry, I, just, I had to. Just because I've seen so many practitioners jump on learning love spells... And ending there because stuff backfires and then all of a sudden, you know, they have a broken heart and the person that they use a love spell against hates them. And now they, they, they've getting, given up on the entire practice because they made an amateur mistake. Mistakes are going to happen. Hopefully you survive them and learn from them. Don't let, Mistakes will happen. Don't let them be devastating. When you're looking at the bibliography, you also want to look at the author's credentials. And I'm not saying like, oh, they're a third generation kitchen witch or whatever. I'm talking about, again, other authors they reference, the historical resources, their experience, how long they've been practicing, 
and the type of references they use. Having said that, there's not... Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean someone who is less experienced can't provide valuable information. It just means to like check their work and maybe find someone, if you're on the less experienced end of the practice, find someone else with more experience to check it out before you... Uh, you know, dedicate your time to towards it. In addition, there are some authors who are very dubious or will publish anything just to get money coming in. So some other things to watch out for in, in the same vein as dubious authors. Bad folk, energy vampires, etc. They are out there just because you're a pagan and practicing does not mean you're immune, does not mean they're not going to find you, doesn't mean they are going to find you. So don't be paranoid about it, but just know there are bad people, there are bad pagans, there are bad spirits, there are good spirits. If you get a bad gut feeling about someone, chances are you shouldn't trust them. And if you ever interact with someone and every time you have an interaction, or even just not necessarily a direct interaction, but are in proximity with someone and you feel drained, there's a good chance that they're an energy vampire. They're basically feeding off of your... Uh, psychic energy and you should get away from them if possible now there is a chance unlikely when you're first starting out unless you're sticking your nose in some places where you really shouldn't that you'll run across some interesting or bad spirits and just gtfo if you're not experienced enough to put it down don't bring it up yes i'm pointing at uh, myself when i do that too because i'm notorious for this before i knew how to handle anything I had a run-in with a de uh, demonic, uh, wasn't a possession, but it was a demonic interaction, and it was very rough, to say the least, and at the time, I did not know what to do. This was before I actually started practicing. I didn't know exactly how to handle it. I do now, but I'm not going to go back and chase something from my past, because it's not worth the effort. One of the things that can help in the situation where you come across a bad person bad spirit bad energy is to establish protection build a circle whatever you want to call it there's a lot of different ways a lot of different ways to create sacred space or protection and institute you know some distance between you and the energy what what has been your experience with circles or sacred space uh i've used reiki to establish sacred space I um, have used normal cleansings to cleanse a space, and uh, I've used sigils and uh, Elder Futhark to mark my boundaries. As far as uh, spell circles, I'm not ter terribly familiar with them because the majority of the time I've used a spell circle, someone else is guiding the uh, ritual. So I I'm not really one that's very knowledgeable on the circles. Because like I said earlier, I have my own methodology that tends to differ from most people. It's still valid, and I'm going to call horseshit on that, because I have seen you work, and you do it. It's just not in well, that Well, maybe with the strophalos, yes. But that's also well, a... It's sacred space, and that's what I wanted to get to. is Just because someone says building a circle, etc., all you're doing is created a separate space for the sacred to inhabit. Okay. That's all it is. You can get fancy and create a circle, call the guardians of the watchtowers, the elements, the gods, the goddesses, whatever. See, that's what I'm talking about. I don't really have a whole lot of experience doing that. 
Well, so talk about your experience. If you're going up against a big baddie and you're level one, what, level one or level ten, whatever, you're going up against your, your your first boss fight. How do you prep or throw down a sacred space? I usually, uh, like I said, push negative energy out. If I'm like in the shit about to do it, and I, I'm probably already been smudging, I will use Ray Key, push it out through my feet, and establish a space around my feet in a radius around me. If I have more prep time, I'll probably use uh, Elder Futhark or some other sigil top, or even Bond Runes to uh, prepare my space, but that's with more prep time. Um, I probably shouldn't say this, but like if things get really ugly, I tend to Astral Project to take care of it, but that's way advanced. So, I have some ceremonial experience training, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I also have some folk experience and everything in between. Sometimes I cast circle, sometimes I do it a little differently. It depends on what tool fits the situation and what my intuition tells me. The best thing is to have a lot of tools so that your can, intuition can guide you on which ones to use. Now, when we talk about actually casting circles, I'll just do it, go over the process briefly so you know what we're referring to, and we can go more in depth another time if that's so desired. Usually, the process is somehow marking out, either physically or mentally, the circumference of a circle. Then you push out the negative energy, or the energy that's not right for the purpose, then you call in the energy you want, which is at what point you call in the elements at the four quarters, the guardians of the watchtowers, the archangels, whatever you're working with. And then you do the work. And once the work's done, you invite things to leave and you clean up your mess. And that's the quick and dirty of a circle. Now, like, both of us have done this for a minute, so it's muscle memory. And that's what I suggest. But we also have different methodology, whereas, like, if I had to use something along the lines of your methodology, I would be very poor at it, and vice versa. Exactly. So, just use the same thing over and over until you get used to it. Branch out if you feel like it. Consider it like flexing a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it's going to become. And right. that also goes with any kind of psychic ability. It's like you, you kind of have to tune yourself to it. And sometimes... I know personally know some practitioners, depending on where they're at, they don't cast circle because it's not needed. And that's kind of controversial. Or Me? don't call in sacred space. Yeah. I, I won't do it unless I absolutely have to. Just like you, you were asking me if uh, about calling a sacred space when I'm going up against an entity. I usually don't unless I have others around me to protect. Exactly. And then usually at that point, instead of doing it like they're on the spot, I would get a singular room and have those people in there and then I would carry on and do my business. Additionally with these things you don't have to do them out loud. It's easier when you're learning to do them out loud to bring presence. I, I usually don't call them out loud. Right. I mean, when you're you from... do and we've had a friend that also does it very loudly but my, me personally I don't. Volume does not dictate potency but it helps you. If you haven't had theater experience it's very helpful to learn how to project your presence. Yeah, it's, that's, that's what it is. It's about projecting your presence and more than anything else. Exactly. There's a lot of different reasons you could or would use a circle. And one of the ones 
it's not necessarily a circle, but it's a good, also a good segue into the next topic is I set the stage when I do divination. When I'm getting in the, the mood to figure stuff out or to meditate, I will throw down just to keep the area clear. I think you brought up a good point for our next uh, topic of the episode, and that is divination. So there are about a bazillion and a half forms of divination. They're all valid. They all do different things. And much like you have your own way of doing magic, you're going to have your own way of doing divination. Some people use bones. Some people use cards, tarot, uh, Lenormand. Some people use runes. Elder Futhark. Well, I think you can do younger Futhark, but Elder's more of a magical... Oh, those, those fight more of the same. I said Elder's more... Well, it's more synonymous with magical uh, things, whereas younger Futhark was more synonymous with a written language. I'm talking historically speaking. Right. And that's the thing is, just because it was historically used one way, doesn't mean it won't be effective another way. Never said it wasn't effective. Yeah. I just said that Elder Futhark is more synonymously known with magic, whereas Younger is more synonymously known with language. Exactly. So, like, runes are basically just marks on a piece of object material, and you cast them, and you get an answer. No, it's an early uh, Proto-Germanic language. Younger Futhark spawned from Elder Futhark. But Elder Futhark is almost... It was back when things were more carved. Mm-hmm. So... So that's why you typically see them on wood, specific woods, harvested at specific times of years. Whereas some people use bones, other people use found objects, and they divine with them. Some people use tea leaf reading. Be very careful with what you decide to do, because it may get you imprisoned or kicked out or whatever. Just use common sense and know that nowadays there's a reason we don't use living sacrifices in general and other things like that. There are substitutions and there are ways to do it without questioning legality and moral ethics. I uh, use Elder Futhark, Tarot, and sometimes Pendulum readings for my divination. And I, I feel pretty comfortable using those three. I don't want to really branch out. Definitely not going to try Moonraking. I know, I know how to. In theory, I don't want to do it. It's bad enough making witches bottles. Oh, no, <laughs> no, we do not go there. This is a novice group. We do not talk about that. That the novice uh, show. Come on. So there's different forms of divination. What purpose would you use divination for? General guidance is a good way. Don't put like don't don't place your bets on it, but because divination is more along the lines of what can happen, not what will happen. And keep in mind, it's like an interpretation of another language by another language. So sometimes you misunderstand, and sometimes things just change. Like if you got an important decision coming up and you need help making it, it wouldn't hurt to do divination on it. But keep in mind. That is only one of the possible outcomes of that choice. And that the future is still pretty fluid, no matter what kind of information you gather for, about it. Yeah, there are things that are super likely to happen, and there are things that are super unlikely to happen. Like, I might be thrilled to go outside if there was a T-Rex sitting out there. Really unlikely to happen that a 
live flesh and blood full size T Rex is going to be terrorizing the neighborhood. And, and what's the probability that you go out and say one and you survive it? Exactly. More likely is to find a toy dinosaur on the ground somewhere and be like, oh, thanks, universe. You're a smartass. I appreciate it. Let's talk about basic orienteering in a magical world. How do you figure out where the hell shit is? Yeah, no, there's going to be a lot of information when you get into it, and it's going to be difficult to navigate. Honestly, the best thing you can do is start off light, find a particular niche part of it that calls your interest, learn that, and then when you feel like you've got a pretty good understanding there, then you branch out. Because not everything of it is going to appeal to you, and not everything in it is going to be necessary to learn. And not everything in it is going to be consistently appealing to you over time. There are things I learned a while back that I didn't find appealing that I've circled back to. And I'm like, oh, I see now. Yeah, like some things will only be useful for you in a certain period of your life. And you will no longer need them. And you'll kind of grow past the need to uh, have that knowledge. It's kind of like I use the analogy of video games a lot. Shoot me. Bang. You don't have someone who's first listening. You don't have someone who's first learning to play games start off with Dark Souls. They would hate video games because they wouldn't understand the purpose of and the enjoyment behind beating yourself relentlessly against a wall. When I first started learning how to play chess, uh, I haven't played it in a while. But I still enjoy playing it because it's fun. But I digress. When I first started learning how to play chess, I. Uh, was learning by somebody who just he never actually taught me how to play all he would do is sit there and beat me over and over again he never taught me any kind of strategy or anything and it, it got to the point where I, I almost didn't like the game until i found other people to play with that were around my level and then when i you know it was like uh, about 50 50 ish winner loss like I, I never cared to do it competitively i just did it because i thought it was fun and uh yeah, no, eventually it just got to the point where uh, I actually enjoyed the game because I wasn't just, someone wasn't using me as a punching bag. Not everyone learns by being thrown into the lake and swimming. And it's less traumatic, and you can proceed at your own pace. They say pressure makes diamonds, but it can also crush a pillar. Excellent, excellent analogy. So, we've kind of touched on the basic stuff we want to touch on to. I think it's the time we go into the interacting with the real world and the events that have been going on. So if you're not interested in that, stop listening here. We're going to talk about some trans issues and what's going on in the real world with avoiding the political part as much as possible. Yeah, no. Fuck Greg Abbott. And that's where we're going to get political because (laughs) he is fighting to... Erase human rights. Yes. So for he, those... he is essentially creating a horrible scenario for minors, for transgender minors, to uh, refuse them access to gender affirming care, which the only thing is going to accomplish for them, they're going to become more ostracized by society, as well as up the uh, suicide rate for the minors because they can no longer get gender affirming care. What Greg Abbott is doing is evil, and he should be impeached and tried. Basically, this bill is going to push minors to, into attempting or committing suicide. 
in addition, I thought it and also... And he should be charged for that. He should. In addition, I thought it also went after the parents of trans children. I think it does. But and my focus children. is on uh, the, the transgender minors. Exactly. Like, that's, that's who's being directly attacked. And it is an attack. There is no moral stance that you can take logically that allows for harassing minors because they don't fit into your worldview. I'm so fucking sick and tired of people attacking transgender people, be it minors, be it uh, trans people in their state, because it's not like this is a recent issue. It's just one of, like, decades of attacks. Honestly, I think it ramped up since the bathroom issue started a while back, before I ever even knew I was trans. Uh, But it's just a continuation of that. And I'm just so sick and tired of people trying to take uh, a human rights issue and turn it into a political issue to try to strip rights away from people. It is horrifying. And then back it with the philosophical underpinning of a religion that has been known to interfere with and take away human rights. The problem with claiming religion is your religion applies to you only. It does not apply to anybody else. And if you try to make uh, any law based in any state in this country based on religion, you should not be in uh, politics. And you are in violation of separation of church and state. And there should be a legal punishment against it. And some of them are really good about dodging that bullet. Here's the thing. Morality doesn't come exclusively from the Abrahamic religions. There are things that predate them that talk about how to be a moral person. Same fucking results. The thing that really, besides this, that really is rocking our world is the fact that, you know, Russia there's a war. Ukraine. Yeah. There's a war going on. Let's, let's not talk about who, how, or why. Oh, no. It, the, there's a lot I can talk about, but I'm trying to stay unbiased and just talk about what's happening and not what the nuances about it because that's not what we're about. I have my own opinion, very strong opinions about political scenarios, but I'm not here to broadcast those opinions. Exactly. It's just very tense right now because we all have that fear that World War Three is right around the corner and we're terrified that that could be a reality. Yeah, no, right now would be a good time to, uh, if you haven't already, assemble a bug out bag, you know, something with at least three day supplies until you can get to a shelter if something happens. Because at this point, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Or at least create some sort of plan where you need know where you need to go if something happens. You know, like a fire drill, but, you know, more catastrophic. Yeah, no, like a bug out bag's only supposed to be like a week's top worth of supplies and stuff. It's not supposed to be like go in the woods and survive for the rest of your life. So how has this news affected you? When when we were up there, snowed in in the Grand Canyon, or on our way back actually, and we heard about this attack on Ukraine. I'm not surprised just because I've been hearing a lot of the uh, tensions that's been going on between those two countries for a while. And from what I understand, it's been like that since the USSR collapsed. So one of the things that I've been wondering about is how it's impacting not just the individuals, but the spiritual world, 
and the energies we deal with on a daily basis because things feel tense. Oh already. yeah, no, it, it, like honestly, I felt like everything's kind of heightened since then on a spiritual level. Everyone, everyone, even just not just on the physical world stage, but even the metaphysical, because nuclear war is going to affect the spiritual realm too. It just it feels very tense, and everyone's anticipating something bad happening, but not knowing when or if it's actually going to happen. I think we kind of touched on the basis of the major issues that are affecting us right now. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Just know you're not alone, and we're thinking of you. May your path lead to peace. Blessed be.